Coming now to the second portion of the epistle, the second uh, section where Paul now transitions from having been telling us all about what God has done for us to bring us now to the place of personal application. And as I pointed out before, this is the way the scriptures always lay it out for us. It's always primarily concerned with letting us know who God is and what he's done. And then we come to the, um, the place where we are responding. We are responding to his love. We're responding to his grace. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, as I've mentioned many times before, it's there that Paul has been uh, doing nothing less than expounding to us the love and the grace of God. You notice as we've gone through these first three chapters, there's, there's not been a place yet at this point where we've been instructed to really do anything. It's, it's more like uh, we've just been instructed to sit and listen and soak it in and understand what God has done for us. And now we come to the place where we're going to personally begin to apply it. But let me remind you, before we move into that, let me remind you of some of the things that we have been told in going through these first three chapters, beginning with the fact that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's where Paul really starts the epistle, reminding us that God has blessed us immensely. He's done everything for us that needs to be done in order to ultimately secure our place with him eternally. He has chosen us in Christ before time began. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he's predestined us to adoption as uh, his children. He's redeemed us from captivity to sin, and he's done this with his own blood. He's provided forgiveness for all of our transgressions. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. So we know God's will. We know the future. We know where things are headed because he's made that known to us. He's given us an eternal inheritance and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day when he brings all of this to fruition. Seal us with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. Now, Paul goes on to tell us that he's done all of this by his mercy and grace, which he lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. So this has all been done for us uh, by God. And he's done it not because we deserved it. He's done it simply out of the resources of his mercy. He's taken us who were strangers and foreigners, and he's made us fellow citizens with the saints and members of his family. So we're members of the family of God. We have uh, this wonderful access to him. We can come to God at any time. We have access with boldness. And we are filled with his spirit. We're actually the dwelling place of God. God resides within us as his people uh, collectively. And 
he's promised that he's able to do and doing infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. So this is just a quick summary of all of the blessings that have been laid out for us in these first three chapters. So since God's done all of this, and and when we come to the first verse here of chapter four, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you, Paul says. So when he says, therefore, he's connecting us back to everything that he's been saying. So in other words, because of all these things, this is how we are now to respond. And like I said, this is the way that God has always presented it. First, what he's done, and then what we do in response. Uh, Many years ago, a portrait was painted, and it's the portrait, maybe you've seen it, or um, maybe you've heard about it. It's a portrait of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. And the inscription underneath is, All this I did for thee, what doest thou for me? And that's it. That's really the way Paul is appealing to us here. This is, all of this God has done for you. Now, this is your uh, proper response. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, you remember he's calling us there. It's kind of a similar thing to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. And there he's pleading based on the mercies of God, based upon all the mercy that God's shown to us, our reasonable response to his mercy is to present ourselves entirely to him. Paul's essentially saying the same thing right here in Ephesians chapter four. So as we move into the fourth chapter and into the practical Uh, section of the epistle, Paul is going to deal with two areas. He's going to emphasize in this section, talking about our walk or our, uh, our way of life, he's going to deal with unity and with holiness. So these are the two fundamental um, features of a of a life worthy of, of the church's calling. Unity and holiness. In uh, this fourth chapter, verses one through 16, he deals with the subject of unity. And then in verse 17 of chapter four, on through the 21st verse of chapter five, he's going to deal at length with the subject of holiness or godly living. And so we will... We'll look at those things in detail over the next several weeks, but I want to focus today on just this exhortation here in verse one, to walk worthy of the calling. One of the big problems that we seem to always face as Christians is the problem of not really living out what we believe. And the problem with that is that people looking on don't always see something that's persuasive or something that's compelling coming from us that would, that would draw them in the direction of the Lord. 
And, and that shouldn't be the case. We have been called with this amazing calling, but Paul is saying it's important that we walk worthy of that calling. So what I want to do is I want to look at the calling itself, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling. Now, many places in Scripture speak to us uh, about our calling or what, what it is that we, we are called to as God's people. And I want to begin with quoting to you from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where we read this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So when we think of our calling, the first thing I want you to think of is our calling as the children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Sometimes you hear religious people speaking about uh, God's uh, universal fatherhood. The idea being that God is, God is the father of everybody who is religious. But the fact of the matter is the Bible teaches that God is not the father of everyone. God is the father uniquely of Jesus Christ, and then he's the father of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But apart from Christ, a person cannot be in that relationship with God. We are all the the creation of God, but we have to become his children through faith. Now, John is marveling. He says, behold What manner of love. Look at the kind of love that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That we who formerly, and this is everything Paul talked about in the second chapter of Ephesians, we who formerly were rebellious and wicked and uh, opposed to God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, remember. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were in league with uh, the prince of the power of the air. But we have become the children of God. Oh, what amazing love. That's really what John would be saying here. So this is what we've been called to. This is the first thing that I want you to consider. We've been called into this relationship where God is our father. We are now the children of God. And as God's children there are a couple of things to think about. First of all, as God's children, we ought to, as good children would do, we ought to honor and respect him. That's the mark of of a child who's behaving properly. And of course, as the children of God, we would think that behaving properly would be a normal thing. So, What does that look like? It looks like honor and respect for God. So we honor God by submitting to him. We honor him by being obedient to his word. We show respect for him by taking uh, his demonstration of love for us seriously and responding to it in the, the appropriate manner. So that's where we start as children, honoring and respecting our father. But then there's also this aspect of being a child of God where there's going to be a resemblance 
between us and our Father. There, there's, there's a connection. Now, we know, of course, this is true on the natural level. You are the byproduct of your parents' union. And so our children are, uh, you know, the genetically connected to us. And, and what do we see with that? There's, there's a resemblance there, isn't there? Sometimes when I'm looking in the mirror, my mother is staring back at me. Uh, other times my dad's staring back at me. I can see both of my parents in, in me. Uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I maybe look more like my dad at times or whatever, but I can, I can see that resemblance. My seven-year-old grandson, Ryder, he's, uh, he uncannily looks like me. And um, so much so that people have just seen him, not knowing who he was, but looking at him saying, that kid's got to be related to Pastor Brian because he looks so much like him. My wife, the other day when we were traveling, we, he was in the children's ministry. She was looking for him. And so she went to see if she could find him, and he, he wasn't there. So she said to the lady that was working there, she said, have you seen my grandson, um, Ryder? And the lady said, well, I, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he looks like. And she said, oh, he just looks like a miniature Brian walking around. She said, oh, I just saw him a minute ago. <laughs> I saw this little kid that looked like Pastor Brian walking by. It's such a funny thing, because when you tell him he looks like me, he's like, I don't look like you. You're old. (laughs) He's right about that. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. So in this realm that we're referring to here, the spiritual realm, there would be the expectation that if we are the children of God, there's going to be some resemblance between us and our father, right? There are going to be certain traits and characteristics that people are going to see in us that are a reflection of our Father. So thinking about walking worthy as the children of God, those uh, similarities are going to be the things that people are going to see that will identify us as God's children, walking worthy of that privilege of being His children. Now, beside being the children of God, secondly, we are called saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he speaks to them uh, as those who are called. And if you read it in your English translation, most of them will say called to be saints. But if you notice, the to be, the two words are italicized, which means they're not there in the original. So what Paul actually says is to the Corinthians who are called saints. And that's true. You see, we're not called to be saints. We are called saints. God is the one who makes us a saint. Now, we could rightfully say we should behave like saints, but our behavior doesn't make us a saint. We are saints by virtue of something God has done. The word means the separated ones, or ones who have been set apart. And so what God has done for us is he has, first of all, set us apart from sin. When you become a child of God, part of what happens is God, he 
removes you from that bondage to sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you never sin again. It just means that sin no longer has the dominion over you that it previously had. It's no longer the rule of your life as it previously was. And that's something that God does. We know that. Anyone who has been genuinely saved knows that sin no longer has the same effect on them that it previously did. That's because of this work of setting us apart or sanctifying us is another uh, way to describe it. So we're set apart from sin, but we're also set apart to God. So you see, in being a saint, it's not simply that I'm set apart from sin. It is that, but I'm also set apart to God, to his glory. My life is now set apart for the glory of God set apart for his will. I'm no longer living to accomplish my will, but now I'm seeking to do the will of God. And I'm no longer primarily concerned about uh, fulfilling what I perceive to be my purpose in life, but I'm more concerned about the purposes of God. So this is what happens. We are called saints. It was a sad day in the history of the church when somebody came up with the the wrong idea that a saint was an extraordinarily uh, holy uh, Christian. And then that idea perpetuated itself. It was passed down from generation to generation. So even today, even sometimes those of us who have been biblically instructed, we still sometimes find ourselves thinking of saints as some uh, especially holy group of Christian people. No, everybody who is a Christian is a saint. And so you can refer to yourself uh, as saint whoever. That's who you are. It's something that God has done. So this is part of our calling. We're called saints. Thirdly, we're called servants. We're called the servants of the Lord. And that is a privileged position. To be a servant of God. What a wonderful thing. Now, for many people, thinking of being a servant of anybody, that doesn't sound all that attractive. It really depends on who you're serving, who your master is. And of course, our master is the Lord, the great, the awesome God. So what a privilege to be a servant of the Lord. It's a a high privilege. And we take our place as the servants of the Lord alongside of people like Abraham. Abraham was the Lord's servant. Or Moses. And Moses, you find so many times in those early books of the Bible, Genesis through... um, well, in, in this case, Exodus through Deuteronomy, so many times where God refers specifically to Moses, my servant, my servant Moses. So uh, a, a position of honor. David would be another example. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she referred to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord, or that's a, another term for a servant of the Lord. You think of the apostles, The apostles, when they wrote these letters that we're studying, this one here, they would often, almost always, as a matter of fact, refer to themselves as God's servants. But this title, the servant of the Lord, is used specifically for Jesus himself. 
Behold my servant, the prophet Isaiah said in speaking of Christ. Behold my servant. And Isaiah said that in the 42nd chapter. Isaiah said that in the 53rd chapter, speaking of Jesus. And uh, Mark's entire gospel sort of focuses on Jesus as the servant of the Lord. So here we are. We have been called to be God's servants. And so like Abraham and Moses and David and Mary and the apostles and like Jesus himself, there's something to being a servant of God. It's a position of privilege. It's a position of honor to be the Lord's servant. But then there's one other that I'll mention here. And that is we have been called friends. Abraham was known as the friend of God. That's how he was distinguished. Abraham, my friend, God said about him. Think about how amazing that is. God would say about you, whatever your name is, so-and-so, my friend, so-and-so. That's what God has called us to. He's called us into a friendship. Abraham was a friend of God, but Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I call you friends. I call you friends, he said, because all that the Father has revealed to me, I have made it known to you. Jesus told them intimate kinds of things about himself, about his relationship with the Father. He let them in on um, these family secrets, if you will. And see, that's a mark of friendship. And so we are also in a position where we share that kind of intimacy where we have that kind of uh, relationship with God. You know, it's amazing if you think about it, that you can have a friendship with God, with God, a friendship, where there's mutual communication, where there's mutual affection being exchanged, where you can actually have an experience of saying things like, you know, the Lord spoke to me. Or you can say, um, well, you know, I was talking to the Lord the other day. Now, some people think you're out of your mind you talk like that. What? You, you were talking to God or even more crazy, you, you think God was talking to you? Well, it does sound crazy, but it's true. God talks to us. And you would expect him to if we're his friends, Right? Well, that's what he does. And we can have these conversations. It's, it's just so astounding to think that, uh, you know, you can open your eyes in the morning and just strike up a conversation with the Lord. And he responds. I try to have a regular prayer time pretty consistently, and I mostly do my focused prayer time when I'm doing my running because I'm able to concentrate there without distraction Um, But, you know, much of my run is just a conversation with the Lord. Now, a lot of times I'm doing most of the talking for sure. Uh, But it's amazing how the Lord will chime in. He will speak to me. And, And there are times I might be 
talking to him about something. I might be expressing my feelings about something or my frustration over something. And just in the middle of that, suddenly it's just so clear. God speaks to me, shows me what I'm to do about a situation maybe, you know, gives me the solution to a problem or just encourages me to persevere or something like that. But my point is there's this relationship thing that we have, this friendship with God. God has called us into a friendship with himself. So now, these are the things that are part of our calling. This is not exhaustive. We could probably go on with other things, and there's one more thing that I'll point out before we finish. But suffice it for now, what what are we looking at here? We're looking at being the children of God. We're looking at being the saints of the Lord. We're looking at being the servants of God. And we're looking at being the friends of God. Now, Paul says in relation to our calling, he says, walk worthy of the calling. So walk worthy of this. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, let's be clear about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are to walk so as to attain a place of worthiness so that then we would be worthy to be called the children of God or the saints of the Lord or God's servants or his friends. No, that, that would be completely backward. That would go against everything the, the apostles been teaching us. It would shift us from the grace of God. It would shift us over into the mode of works. Now, if you want to be God's friend, this is what you've got to do. If you want to really be God's child, you've got to live this way. Uh, and then if you, if you live this way consistently, then at some point, God's going to identify you that, yes, that's my child right there. No, that's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says walk worthy, he's not saying that we are to walk in such a way as to attain to a worthiness. We can never do that. Who could ever do that? Who could ever go even throughout a whole day and at the end of the day say, all right, I did it. I walked worthy of the Lord today. None of us can do that, really. The only person that ever did that in all of history was Jesus himself. He's the only one that could say regarding himself that he had no sin. He's the only one that could say, I always do those things that please the Father. I wish I could say that, but I can tell you right now, I can't say that. I don't always think what I should think. And many times my thinking is undoubtedly displeasing to God. He doesn't want me thinking that way. And I certainly don't do what I should always do. And you you understand that. You get the point. You're the same way. This is how we are. So that's not what he's saying when he says walk worthy. What he's saying is this. He's saying, by God's grace, this is who you are. By God's grace, you're a child of God. By God's grace, you're a saint. By God's grace, you're a servant. By God's grace, you're his friend. Now just act like it. You see, he's, he's not saying, do this so you can become that. He's saying, this is who you've become because of God's grace. Now do this. And that's what we see all the way through the New Testament. I don't know how this has become so confusing in the minds of people over the centuries, 
but it has. Because over the centuries, quite often, the, the perspective has been the opposite of the biblical picture of grace and our good works proceeding from grace. Quite often, it's been that our good works were going to help us to attain grace somehow. I grew up, as I've mentioned many times before, I grew up in Roman Catholicism. And I remember as a uh, young person in, in that system, I remember that I was encouraged by my spiritual leaders to seek um, through my efforts of prayer and good works and so forth to seek sanctifying grace. Now, if you understand grace, that right there is a contradiction. You don't get grace by working for it. The very idea of grace excludes works. If I worked for grace, then it wouldn't be grace. If I worked for it, it would be something that I earned. But remember, grace is God's unearned favor. It's his favor poured upon those who haven't earned it, don't deserve it. So we're already the children of God. We're not going to be walking in such a way or behaving in such a way to try to become the children of God. We're already saints. We're already God's servants. We're already his friends Now we are to just behave as such. We are to live out who we are. This is who we truly are. We're truly the children of God, so let's behave like that. That's what Paul is saying. Let's honor and respect our Father and show Him that honor and respect by being obedient to Him. Let's... um, demonstrate our relationship with God by letting those similarities between us and God, by letting them show themselves in our daily attitudes and behavior. And all the way down with uh, each one of these points, as since I'm a saint, since God has separated me, I'm not to go live in sin. I'm not to willfully go out and disobey God. No, because that's inconsistent with what's happened with me. God has separated me from that. And as a saint, I'm no longer to be living for my own glory. No, I'm now to live for the glory of God because of what he's done. And all the way down, whether it be uh, the servant of the Lord or the friend of the Lord, but then we come to one other Example here of the calling of God, and that's the one that we read about in Philippians. I intentionally wanted to read that because it connects us with what we're talking about here today. And I want you to notice, if you want to flip back over there real quickly, to Paul's reference there to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what does he say in verse 14? Or back up to verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's another aspect to our call. It's an upward call. It's a heavenly call. In writing to the Colossians, Paul says, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we then shall also appear with him in glory. So that's, that's what Paul's talking about here. As the children of God, as the saints of the Lord, as his servants, as his friends, we are to be pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're to set our minds on things above. Now, some people today would say that, you know, you can become too heavenly minded. And if you're too heavenly minded, they say you won't be any earthly good. Now, rather than just dismissing that, there's, in some sense, I agree with that statement if we're misinterpreting what it is to be heavenly minded. Now, for some people, being heavenly minded means you just take a totally irresponsible approach to life. You know, um, I'm not going to worry about getting a job or paying my bills because that would be carnal. You know, that would be in the flesh. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to be in the spirit. I'm just going to pray about a job. (laughs) I'm just going to pray about uh, paying my bills and trust the Lord to do it. Now, that's obviously an extreme and ridiculous case. But believe it or not, there are people that think that way and talk that way and behave that way. And if that's what a person is referring to, I wholeheartedly agree. But... Listen, that's not what it is to be heavenly minded. That's to just be, um, you know, it's, it's to not have anything going on in your head that's worthwhile. <laughs> it's to be empty headed. <laughs> no, to be heavenly minded means that we set our affection on things above. That we're thinking not to the neglect of our responsibility, but we're thinking primarily about spiritual things, about the things of the kingdom, about what's going to glorify God. As Paul says here, pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. It's an upward call. We're looking to the things of the spirit. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew 6.33, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our top priority. And here's the wonderful practical thing. I can do everything and I can do it even better like my job, like take care of my family, like even engage in my leisure, whatever that might be. I can do all of that and I can do it while pursuing the upward call of God in Christ because I can do all of that to the glory of God. I can do my job to the glory of God. I should do my job to the glory of God. I should be doing my job in such a way that it's honoring to God. I should be raising my family and taking care of my children and loving my wife in a way that it it honors God. It glorifies him. And even as I said, in my leisure, even in the things that I do in my spare time, even the things that I do for fun or relaxation, I can take all of those things 
and I can have still that focus, the upward call of God in Christ. And that's what the apostle is talking about here. And notice he says, I press toward the goal. And the word press here means to to run swiftly toward. So Paul's attitude was one of, you know, I'm running after this. I'm I'm not being passive about it, but I'm being active. I'm, I'm running toward it. And now as we move into this section, and Paul is saying to us here back in Ephesians once again, as he's speaking to us about the practical application of the grace of God, he's saying, walk worthy of this calling. It's a high calling to be a child of God. It's a wonderful thing to be designated as a saint. It's a great privilege to be a servant of the Lord. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be a friend with God. Walk worthy of that. It's a high calling. Live consistently with who God has called us to be, who he has made us to be. That's what he's saying. Live consistently with that. And as I said at the very beginning, the, the, the problem that so often occurs is when that breaks down in front of people, they don't see anything extraordinary about us or anything all that different that would cause them to be interested in our faith. That shouldn't be the case. And of course, that's not always the case. Thank God there are many people that are, are really, you know, living that way. Somebody told me after service this morning, they have a ministry over at one of the university campuses, and they told me the other day that a, a young uh, student from, I think he was from China, maybe came and he asked for Bibles in three or four different languages. And they asked him, well, what are you going to do with these? And he said, well, um, you know, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm roommates with all of these different guys. And they've been wondering, like, why I am the way I am. And I told them it's because I believe in Jesus. And they're more interested in finding out about uh, what that means. So they've asked me if they could have Bibles. I think that's great. That's right. That's the way it ought to be. That people would look at us and say, you know, there's something different about that person. There's something with them that I don't see in the lives of others. There's a grace. There's a kindness. There's a love. There's a servant's attitude. Whatever it might be. So many different things that it could possibly be. But that's what happens when we walk worthy of the call. People take note. And God, of course, is honored. Remember, I mentioned that portrait of Jesus with the crown of thorns and that inscription. All this I've done for thee, what doest thou for me? As we think of all that Christ has done for us, that's to be the thing that motivates us to live for the glory of God. Because of all that Christ has done, I'll close with this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with patience or with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? What was the joy that enabled Jesus to wear that crown of thorns? It was the joy of saving us. The author here says, look to Jesus. See what he did. The author and finisher of our faith. Let us run with endurance. Let us honor him and glorify him as we would seek to walk worthy. Not making ourselves worthy, but recognizing by God's grace he's made us worthy. Now let's live consistently with that. Lord, we thank you for your work of grace in us. And Lord, we want to be those people that honor you with our lives, that respect you, that live, Lord, for your glory, not for our glory. So Lord, would you help us today to take this admonition to heart, to truly walk worthy of the calling. Lord, we are your children, and we marvel at that. We thank you for that, that you've made us the sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've set us apart. You've called us saints. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your servants. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing gift of friendship with you. And Lord, may we show our gratitude to you daily by living for your glory. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.